Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 194 of the Momenta Digital Podcast Series. Today, Mike Dolbeck and I are pleased to host Jane Arnold, former VP Manufacturing and Operations Technology for Stanley Black & Decker. Jane is a thought leader and industry 4.0 expert in manufacturing technology with over 30 years of experience in manufacturing technology, control engineering, and operations. She's held executive leadership roles at Stanley Black & Decker and Covestro, where she led the transformation of manufacturing globally by bringing together diverse functions and expertise to sustainably solve problems utilizing advancements in technology. Her focus is to improve digitalization in manufacturing with an emphasis on emerging technologies and a passion for engaging a bottoms-up approach that augments the workforce with technology. She's a graduate of Oxford University's Business Economic Program and has a degree in mathematics from the University of Houston. Jane, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Thank you very much, Ken, and thank you for having me. I've been listening to your Digital Thread series and really enjoying it, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Great. Well, we're happy to have you as part of it. And thank you for being a longtime listener. I feel like a radio host at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Longtime listener, first time caller. So, you know, by having listened to this, we call this Digital Thread Podcast. And it's very much about one's personal digital thread and leading up, of course, to the role you're playing now. So, Jane, what would you consider to be your digital thread? In other words, the one or more thematic threads that define your digital industry journey? Okay, I gave this some thought, and I'm really going to have to go back to the beginning of my career, which was late 80s, early 90s. I actually accepted a job, a summer job, at a small chemical plant in Texas City called Sterling Chemicals. And that summer job did turn into 16 years. And the reason why is because I got there and I was doing instrument electrical drafting, and I got to go out in the field a lot and talk to people. And I was fascinated about how things worked and how the systems and the people worked together. And that experience changed my pursuit to engineering and math. And early in my career there, I joined the process control team where we migrated panel board instrumentation to DCS. And after that, I was like, okay, well, what do we do with these computers? And so I worked on advanced process control algorithms in the acryl nitrile plant for many years. But the part that was pivotal for me was that Sometime in the late 90s, there was a union strike and lockout, and uh, I actually had the opportunity to run the board in the unit, uh, so walk across the the picket line and actually help run the plant. And I had programmed uh, the controls, I had trained operators and felt comfortable on the board. And what I learned was that there's so much an operator knows when they're actually running the process that the engineers have no idea what's happening, and it's really a nuance. And I developed this great appreciation for that frontline worker, the operator and the maintenance technicians who were keeping the plant running and what they were doing. And so I spent four months, 12 hours a day actually improving what was there. So the operators wouldn't have to ignore quite so much or find a workaround for things that didn't quite work. 
But that experience really changed my view on engineering and operations. And you cannot effectively drive change without the operator engaged, which led to a lifelong passion for a bottoms-up approach to transformation. Hi, Jane. It's Mike Dolbeck. Thanks for joining the podcast. It's good to talk to you again, by the way. You had deep experience in process control, having led Covestro's manufacturing digital transformation. Covestro, of course, is a large chemical manufacturer in Germany, 7 billion euro market cap. What would you say are the top three insights that you've gleaned from your time there relative to Industry 4.0? Thank you, Mike, and good morning to you as well. Uh, So during that executive role that I had at Covestro, I lived in Germany and I interacted with a lot of different leaders in different industries around Europe and, and also around the world. But what I saw around Industry 4.0 was really a lot of excitement about what was possible. And the success early on across the industry um, was not uh, very high in return on investment. And my belief is that the leaders were investing in the hype without a clear strategy to implement, engage the workforce, and, and have sustainable solutions. In my time there, I also saw a lot of pilot purgatory, which is where companies are trying to decide between all the technology available in the market and doing numerous pilots or proof of concepts. And at Covestro, I saw my role as someone who would make the decisions and move the team forward, which is what I did. And the third thing that I had to figure out was how to engage operations, moving from the role of an individual contributor, like my example at Sterling Chemicals, to that of a department head with over 100 different units spread across 30 plus sites. We worked out a strategy with a pilot project in Kaohsiung, which is in Shanghai, China, and we had designated digital champions on site to put together a blueprint of engagement. And the digital champion worked with local teams to get feedback from operations on what was important, what was a nuisance, and on what we were delivering. And we used this digital champion as a liaison, and the concept was to have a flexible blueprint to deploy the solution at scale keeping in mind that every single unit at every single site is going to have a slightly different culture, so you have to be flexible with it. You joined Stanley Black & Decker in early 2021 as VP Manufacturing and Operations Technology. As Stanley is a well-known discrete manufacturing company, I think this was probably a significant step coming from your historically processed background. What attracted you to the company in space, and really what was your remit there? So the whole thing started really kind of by chance. Early on in the pandemic, I was traveling from Frankfurt to Houston. It just happened to be my ticket was just before the borders closed. And I did get COVID. And while being sick and having downtime with my family, it really gave me the opportunity for self-reflection. I love Covestro and my team and all that we had accomplished. But I decided that I wanted to do something new and learn something new. And so I only spoke to Stanley because of their very public stance on DE&I. And the more I talked to them, the more I liked them and decided to make the change. I was hired to lead Industry 4.0 execution at the factories, which included innovations in discrete manufacturing as well as additive manufacturing or 3D printing. And when I first started, I was actually pretty nervous. I was asking myself, how could I leave 30 years in chemicals and just dive into something completely different? So day one, I made the decision to drive to Dallas-Fort Worth, which are the closest facilities, and spent the week up there looking at the three facilities and talking to people. And it was really quite interesting. And I was able to bridge what I know about producing chemical processes 
with discrete manufacturing, there's a lot of interesting parallels. And both are making stuff just in different ways. And we had the opportunity to work with several innovative startups during my time there um, to improve manufacturing, such as Tulip Interfaces, DeepHow, and Enraven AI, for example. Thanks, Jane. I just wanted to compliment you before we go on to the next questions. Stanley Black & Decker was always known as a sort of lighthouse customer if Industry 4.0 startup could make the grade. It was unique and very effective. But it's also a good segue to the question I want to ask you next. In our conversations prior to the podcast, you listed several topics you wanted to cover. They're all very relevant. OEE, data quality, change management. Each of those, they're all very big topics that all speak to agile manufacturing. Can you draw a conceptual line between each of those? Yes, of course. So OEE is simply the amount of on-spec product produced during a period compared to what was expected. And I've spent my career analyzing data for cause and effect relationships in order to solve problems. And when you're analyzing industrial data and designing new control schemes, the result is always an improvement in OEE. In addition, you might reduce natural gas usage and things like that. I was part of the advanced manufacturing team with the World Economic Forum, where we were working on data excellence. There were representatives across all verticals in the industry, and I learned that we all have the same problem with data. So it was really a fascinating experience. My first year as the head of global process control at Covestro, we analyzed all the major failures that happened the, the prior year. And it was a tough year for the company from a production standpoint, but we were able to trace back all the major failures, unplanned outages to approximately 120 million euro of EBITDA loss. And we performed a root cause analysis on every failure. And, you know, about half the time it comes back leading with an operator error as the root cause, which is quite common in the industry. And I asked the question, why? Why did the operator make the decision that led to a mistake? And what we saw was that the operator either didn't believe the information on the control system and ignored it or bonded to information on the control system that was wrong, which led to an event. And so we decided that this fundamentally points to data quality issues from the field. And we decided to add a data quality AI solution to our stack, uh, namely Aperio AI. Uh, Covestro is still deploying CPM with the engagement methods that I taught them and people are responding to the information. So this is showing consistency and improvement in OEE. So when you look at the summary, so correcting data quality issues to improve OEE, but you won't succeed without properly engaging those with their hands closest to the process, which is the operator. So Jane, can you talk about some of your wins across Covestro and Stanley Black & Decker? Happy to. So at, at Covestro, I led a very engaged and innovative team. As I mentioned earlier, they built the Covestro Monitoring Platform, or CPM for short, and they built it on top of the Pi Data Historian and Asset Framework, where we linked solutions from Seek and Imperio and Aviva's Prism, specifically for rotating equipment with Prism and other software tools. And as I mentioned earlier, also this solution is still being deployed. I speak with my protege monthly in the regions where it's been deployed, it has been adopted by the end users. And so that continues to be rolled out and happening. And the expectation is that there will be less unplanned outages in the future. And at Stanley, we were at a much different starting point. 
Some of the factories were lighthouse factories and they had connected assets for collecting data, but many of the factories did not have connected assets. So we started gathering um, data on shop floor machine performance. Um, in order to do that, we had to actually connect the assets. So my connected factory team built a data historian with open source software, installed an OT network and starting collecting and visualizing the data for the site teams. And being able to see the entire factory performance in one glass uh, glance was very impactful for the team. From there, they customized different reports or graphics that the site needed to make improvements in the production. In, in parallel, we started digitizing the shop floor with Tulip interfaces. My first tour to a site showed me a lot of paper and sticky notes, much more than I ever imagined would be there. And when you have this manual method of rewriting things with different people involved, it's going to lead to errors. And my team started converting those paper processes to digital, and we were able to see immediate improvements. And those that were impactful, uh, we scaled to deploy uh, globally. But there were things such as doubling on-time delivery for one facility, having the time it took for a physical inventory at another, and performing first article inspection at the sites, which required it, and automatically transferring the information to the quality system. So we were essentially building an MES one step at a time, connecting to shop floor machines, businesses, and quality system, um, getting real-time information to make improvements. Wow, that's super informative. Thank you. The, very detailed. I know our audience is interested in those things, but let's back up a little upstream of there. In your role as a digital leader, how do you know when an organization is ready to adopt agile manufacturing technologies? And what best practices have you seen work best when trying to realize that value? So one thing to keep in mind is that each manufacturing enterprise and facility is at a different step in the cycle of improvement. So there's not a single answer. Um, it's easy for senior leadership to tell the facilities that they will do something with new technology or workflow process, but a best practice is to meet each facility where they are at. You can build a general roadmap where the company wants to go, but you have to separately define the details for each facility. You start by talking to the workforce to learn their pain points and solving it. You gain their trust and take them to the next level. You really need to engage all levels to understand where the problems are. If you can solve a problem for a production worker, then you can build transformation from that single point and you build trust as a primary lever to excellence. So each person in each position has a different perspective on where the pain points are. For example, I recently toured a small OEM and talked to them about some of their pain points. So the site manager was worried about on-time delivery. The process engineer was worried about making improvements to the on-site boiler to save on natural gas usage. And the line supervisor was worried about a high turnover rate due to manual assembly process. So you can't go to a new place and tell them that today they get Industry 4.0 and all their problems will be solved. You have to start small, succeed, and build on it. And it can be multiple paths at the same time. In the one example I shared, on-time delivery, boiler control improvements, and adding digital tools and automation to the production line. You mentioned Industry 4.0, and I'm actually here in Chicago just finishing up the Rockwell Automation Fair this week, and this was a big topic right among the uh, participants and uh, speakers. What does Industry 4.0 mean to you? And also maybe as a secondary question, what is your perspective on the European Union's work on Industry 5.0? 
So I'll start with Industry 4.0. So it represents advanced technologies that will support improvement of the bottom line. So this is uh, efficiency and productivity improvements. It talks about interconnecting people's data, making information transparent, and allows for mass data from all areas of manufacturing, including remote technical assistance and cyber-physical systems for decentralized systems, um, decentralized decisions. When I first heard of Industry 5.0, I honestly was quite surprised. Uh, many companies are not even fully connected yet, meaning they're still working on Industry 3.0. And 4.0 is really only now getting some good traction and making a difference. So I've been doing some research on what is meant by Industry 5.0. And there's a really good Forbes article on 5.0 written in May this year. And according to the European Union, Industry 5.0 provides a vision of industry that aims beyond efficiency and productivity as the sole goals and reinforces the role and contribution of industry to, to society. So the intent is to shift from an economic to a societal value, shifting the focus of well, welfare to well-being, which is really fascinating to me. So instead of just looking at the bottom line, we want to see how can we make the world better with Industry 5.0. We've done a podcast with Sean O'Regan, who is the EU commissioner who runs that program. And what's interesting is we kind of bylined it as productivity plus people plus planet, if you will. And it's bringing in that broader, if you will, the triple bottom line that I think, especially with you mentioned the DEI, ESG is another angle on this one as well. But rolling those together that such that productivity is balanced with those other goals as well. And it was interesting, again, at the event, there was a lot of discussion of enabling or augmenting the human, the worker on the factory. Yes. And I think that's kind of tying into the same zeitgeist, if you will, around that as well. So interesting timing in terms of the Industry 5.0 you know, initiative coming in right at the time all these things are converging. Given the understanding of Industry 4.0 and the evolving understanding and meaning of Industry 5.0, as we just discussed, where do you see the greatest opportunity areas, both for either in the next five years? You know, where should people be looking and where should people be making investments? It's actually very interesting. And I want to build a little bit on what Kim was saying about the experience with the EU Commission. And if we're actually able to change manufacturing and that we're putting people in planet first rather than profits and growth center stage, then the very definition of industry is new, which is really very exciting. So the three points that Ken mentioned, being human-centric, I think that's coming already, you know, augmenting the workforce, having technology or solutions that are resilient, meaning that they can manage and survive a VUCA situation, and then being sustainable, where we have ESG goals and we're actually being a net positive improvement to the planet instead of just being better. So I see a really interesting growth in what is possible, and it's going to take the businesses to actually embrace that we have to put people and planet first over the bottom line. And there's a lot of different things that we can look at, but one of the things that I'm interested in beyond augmenting the workforce is the part about being resilient. So agility and flexibility don't necessarily lead to more resilience, and businesses today need to focus, or today are focusing on driving efficiency and optimizing profits. And becoming lean actually makes companies less resilient, which is completely a different way of thinking. 
And if you look at the VUCA environment that we've had these past few years with COVID and the war in Ukraine, these issues show just how vulnerable businesses are without some level of safety stock, for instance. And Industry 5.0 will make companies less fragile, which I think is key meaning that they can anticipate and react appropriately to crisis and therefore have stable or more stable performance. And I think that's quite interesting. And as far as the greatest opportunity, I say that opportunity is throughout all enterprises. Manufacturing is never going to go away, but we can improve it in such a way that it has a positive effect on the environment instead of negative. And it's going to take time for solutions to emerge, and I hope to be part of that change. Great. That's a great answer. Thank you. You spoke of augmenting the workforce. I'm a big fan of augmenting decision-making, but one very real kind of tactical augmentation leads me to my next question, which is you've described yourself as a champion of women and diversity, particularly in STEM roles. Can you say more about your work there? Okay. Well, this is based on personal experiences. So throughout my career, I've often been the only woman or one of very few women in a particular function or organization. I've had to learn how to stand up and be heard to make a positive impact in my work. And I've been fortunate. I've always had good people around me that I could lean on when needed. And I wanted to provide that same safe space for other women who feel as though they are an anomaly and uncomfortable in their environment because they're different. And I want to help support and give them strategy for the difficult situations. Actually, earlier this year, I joined Chief, which is a network for executive women. And it's, a, it's an organization that focuses on providing that support for different women. And my first experiences made me think that it was actually possible that true DE&I across the industry and across all businesses was becoming more prevalent. I have to laugh a little bit, Jane, just because attending the event this week, it was one of the few times that there were long lines in the men's restrooms and not the women's restrooms. So you can tell a little bit about the makeup of the audience. And that's that's really all the time. And I'll have women approach me at conferences because there's so few of us there just to connect and say, hey, I'm happy to see another woman here and have that conversation. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. So Jane, I have to imagine the audience is all thinking the same question at this point, knowing that you've just recently left Stanley Black & Decker. So what's next for you? So it's interesting. I decided to take some time off and think about what is next. And there's quite a few things that just through networking and talking to people that have happened that have made me consider where I'm going to go next. So one is I'm an advisor to MIT on building a manufacturing consortium. And they have discussed with me whether or not I'd like to lead that consortium once it gets approved, which would be very interesting. And if you look at Industry 5.0 and the direction that that's headed, maybe I could be part of that change there. Also, recently joined the board of directors at Aperio AI as an independent director to try to work on the data quality issue that I've seen throughout my career. And I'm also looking to advise startups and opening my own company, which I'll kick off in January to do consulting. So that's kind of the general idea that might change a little bit. Um, in January, I've been accepted to the MIT entrepreneur class. And with my thoughts on industry 5.0 and potentially leading the consortium, I could take that to a different direction where I'm going to actually be doing a startup to try and make a difference in the world. 
How can people get hold of you if uh, they're interested in engaging with you in any of these capacities? Right now, they can reach me through LinkedIn, uh, respond to everyone who reaches out to me. And in January, at some point, I'll be launching my website. So right now, it's just Jane Arnold and Associates, and we'll see where it goes from there. Perfect. Well, we'll look forward to engaging with you as well. You talk about somebody who's on target for what Momenta believes and is passionate about on all facets there. So in closing, I always like to ask a question about your own personal inspiration. So where do you find your personal inspiration? Okay, well, earlier in my career, I would have answered the question differently. So I'm going to give you two answers. So the first half, or maybe even two-thirds of my career, I would have said that I got my inspiration from people telling me no, that a problem could not be solved, it was too hard, or that I wasn't capable of doing it, or whatever. And while I was raised to believe that any problem could be solved, my father was also an engineer, you just had to figure out how. So whenever someone told me that I couldn't do it or that it could not be done, then I made it my passion to prove them wrong. And this led me to be an outstanding advanced process control programmer and resulted in a lot of savings in greenhouse gas usage in the production plants. Today, I take my inspirations in a number of different ways. Mostly, I get excited talking to new people and learning what they're doing in the industry and what kind of problems and solutions they have encountered. And I really love sharing the stories and learning from them. And I think I'm getting most of my inspiration just from the people that I meet each week. I'm doing a lot of networking, meeting a lot of people. And otherwise, I'm an avid reader and constantly absorbing information in different ways, online articles, books, and podcasts. Excellent. Well, we're happy to be part of that ecosystem as well. And it's interesting as wide and diverse as people may think this, I'll call it digital industry spaces. We always joke it's the same cast of characters wearing different hats and or t-shirts at uh, big events. So yes, <laughs> it's a that's very exactly small, right. tight-knit community. And, uh, it is a small world. Said, yeah, as you said, the women in that community, you certainly would be an even smaller sector. And so it's good to have you as an inspiration to them. So Jane, thank you for sharing this time and insights with us today. And thank you very much for having me. It's been really interesting and fun and look forward to see what happens next. As well. So this has been Jane Arnold, thought leader in Industry 4 and Sounds Like 5 expert in manufacturing technology. <laughs> thank you for listening and please join us for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archive versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.